Get me smoochy. We open with a flash forward to a man in a rhinoceros costume being viciously beaten. We then go back six months where we're introduced to the Rainbow Randolph show. Randolph, played by Robin Williams, is a transparently profit-driven children's TV presenter who sings a song, accompanied by Danny Woodburn as Angelo Pike, his co-star with dwarfism, about how friends come in all sizes. Friends come in all sizes, that's a fact, it's true. All the colours of rainbow from mauve to blue. The names are different, the shoes don't match. Some like to toss while others to catch. One might say grass while the You might remember Woodburn as Kramer's friend Mickey Abbott on Seinfeld. So what's the deal with Rainbow Randolph? Well, the deal is that he accepts bribes from parents to feature their kids on the show. He's soon busted for corruption, and TV execs John Stewart as Frank and Catherine Keener as Nora are charged with finding a squeaky clean replacement. As it turns out, that replacement is wearing a homemade rhino costume and singing songs in a methadone clinic. Oh, we'll get you off that smackle, yes we will. Oh, we'll get you off that smackle, yes we will. Oh, we're gonna get you off that smack. We'll kick that monkey right off your back and it's get It's the uncharismatically yes, named Sheldon Mopes, played by Ed Norton. This guy seems like a total wet blanket, but he might be the studio's only hope of salvaging their reputation. But between a murderous Rainbow Randolph, Harvey Firestein's corrupt charity head, Danny DeVito's duplicitous agent, and the Irish mob, can he stay alive long enough to do it? Gee whiz. What a day. I'm Panicky in the UK, and this is Panicky Pictures. <coughs> 20 years ago this very day, assuming I get this episode out in time, which fingers crossed, Death to Smoochie was released in the US. Its budget was $50 million, it grossed $8.3 million. In the film industry, this is what's known as less than ideal. The film was written by Adam Resnick, and it seems to have pretty much killed his screenwriting career, though he's continued to write for TV. Previously, he'd written Cabin Boy and Lucky Numbers, as well as on SNL and Late Night with David Letterman, among other things. So this makes Death to Smoochie the only thing of his that I've actually seen, since most of his TV shows didn't really cross the pond. Even if they had, I'd probably have been too young for them. But I wasn't too young for Danny DeVito's prior film work, His last directorial outing before this one was his 1996 adaptation of Roald Dahl's Matilda. I actually had the book on tape as a kid, so I was more familiar with the source material, but I definitely saw the film more than once. Um, I think I wasn't crazy about the fact that they made it American. Uh, But anyway, Death to Smoochie didn't quite kill DeVito's directing career, but he has directed only one more feature to date, which was 2003's Duplex the following year, uh, which I don't think was very received either. Death to Smoochie holds a score of 42% on Rotten Tomatoes and 38 on Metacritic. Robin Williams was nominated for a Razzie for his performance. Roger Ebert named it the worst film of the year, gave it half a star and said, only enormously talented people could have made Death to Smoochie. Those with lesser gifts would have lacked the nerve to make a film so bad, so miscalculated, so lacking any connection with any possible audience. To make a film this awful, 
you have to have enormous ambition and confidence and dream big dreams. Well, it's like the song says, we all got our bad days. So, why do I like this reviled box office bomb so much that I not only decided to dedicate a retrospective episode to it, but I've also had it listed as one of my four favourite movies on Letterboxd for nearly a year now? Well... I'm always interested in films that interrogate masculinity, from David Cronenberg's A History of Violence to Valeska Griesebach's Western, and I think that that's exactly what this film does in the figure of Sheldon Mopes. Actually, like A History of Violence, this is a portrait of a man who has committed to leading a peaceful existence until his resolve is tested by circumstance. Bet you didn't see that comparison coming. fucked with the wrong rhino, pal. Sheldon, no! Don't do it, Chef! Tommy, stay out of this. It's none of your business. Don't destroy who you are for this piece of shit. So I first saw this film just under a year ago on all four, and I'm honestly not sure what made me watch it. I'd never even heard of it, but I decided to give it a shot. Um, I live-tweeted my watch at the time, but I have tweets set to auto-delete after three months, so that record is lost to time, much like the scrolls of Alexandria and equally tragic, but I do have my letterbox review, um, and I think the thing that really moved me about the film was its portrayal of how much strength it takes to be a good person. There's a lot of ugliness out there, a fair amount of injustice. Sometimes being a good person, well, that just isn't always enough. And I'm here to tell you, when that happens, it is hard not to get frustrated. Maybe even start feeling a little bitter. Oh, look, I'm just going to say it. Sometimes, boys and girls, it's going to make you flat out mad. In the early scenes, the film seems to share Nora's attitude that Mopes' goodness is the result of weakness or naivety. But as it progresses, this begins to change. We start to see glimpses of the man that Mopes was before he committed to working on himself. Yeah, I got ordered to take this anger management class in college, and we had to name a person who represented love and patience. Mopes isn't just some schmuck, and his goodness is hard-earned. I think that the culture is starting to shift away from morally grey, dark and gritty, masculine archetypes now, but it was mired in that mode for a long time. At least I remember the 90s and early to mid-2000s being very cynical, largely dominated by Gen X attitudes of ironic detachment and apathy. People seem to be starting to get sick of Nicecore these days, but it's still a fairly recent phenomenon in entertainment aimed at adults, which for a long time seemed to be stuck on the anti-hero setting at least when it came to male protagonists. But I think this film does go deeper than some of the nice core we're seeing now. It shows us a man being absolutely pushed to his limit and choosing goodness in spite of it. To me, that's a truly powerful and necessary message. You don't get to tell this boy what to do anymore, you uptight... I'm gonna halt here. I don't know if you're familiar with HALT, it's a self-recognition technique. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That's you, Nora. And I'm not getting sucked into your negative energy. Of course, it goes without saying that movie watching is an intensely subjective experience. It's all very well talking about the film's explorations of masculinity and virtue, but that doesn't make it good. The thing is, I do also think it's good. I like watching it. I think it's funny. I don't think it's flawless. I actually find Williams's performance here really tiresome on the whole, and DeVito's directorial style is definitely... singular? 
Some of the humour may not have aged brilliantly, and structurally it's kind of unusual. To use Kurt Vonnegut's terminology for plot arcs, it's like it does the Cinderella story for the first hour, reaches an apex, and then it kind of resets and does Man in Hole. For all that, I don't think it's a stinker. One thing I haven't even mentioned yet is Pam Ferris's incredible turn as Tommy, the head of the Irish mob. Ferris is a Welsh actor who's probably best known for her television work here in the UK, but she had worked with DeVito previously, having played Mrs Trunchbull and Matilda. She'd also go on to have a fairly significant role in Children of Men, which I rewatched very recently, I'd completely forgotten she was in it, but this might be my favourite of her roles. We're going to find him, cut off his bars and shove him up his ass. Well, maybe we should leave that for the cops, Tommy. The cops won't do the ball thing. It's against procedure. I also have to say that I absolutely love the romance element of the film. I had no idea the first time I watched it whether Catherine Keener and Ed Norton were going to get together in this movie, but I knew that I desperately wanted them to. I remember tweeting that if they didn't kiss, I was going to do something drastic. You get such a sparkly glow around you when you're, when you're berating me in front of everybody else. Okay, I, I may have become a bit hardened over the years. Yeah, I bet. Listen, sincerity is an easy disguise in this business. It's hard to know who's on the level. This is also an early film portrayal of a sympathetic vegan, something which is still surprisingly rare considering how pervasive veganism has become in Hollywood. I don't know, maybe they don't think it'll play well in the heartland. This is network television, buddy, not a sprout farm. And hey, this is the only film I know of where one of the hero's key motivations is trying to reopen a methadone clinic. On behalf of myself and the soon-to-be-restored Coney Island Methadone Clinic, I want to thank you all for being here, really. I'm not the only one who's reassessed the film in recent years. In the wake of Williams' death in 2014, Jeremy Stoll wrote an article in Slate calling it Williams' best bad movie. Two years ago, Jorge Solos did a roundup of more positive reviews of the film for Newsweek. Still, even these positive takes tend to stress the film's cynicism and its darkness. I think what strikes me about the critical reception, good and bad, is how much it overlooks the core message of the film. That's the lesson, Nora. That's the whole moral anchor. It's cut. Emmanuel Levy called it irritating, nasty and mean-spirited. Anne Hornaday in the Washington Post wrote that this is a particularly toxic little bonbon, palatable to only a chosen and very jaundiced few. How do you like that? The more positive reviews had more or less the same basic reading, even if they came to different conclusions. Jay Hoberman in The Village Voice praised the integrity of DeVito's misanthropic vision. Rob Gonsalves, who otherwise enjoyed it, complained that even dark, violent comedies now have to end on an up note. And Mark Savlov called it loud, brash, vulgar, and considerably entertaining. It's hard to believe that they were watching the same film as me, because to me, the misanthropy, the mean-spiritedness, the toxicity, the vulgarity, the darkness and violence, the film transcends all that. This is the book of Job, and those are the tests that Sheldon must face. It's his integrity which is proven. The up note isn't a betrayal of the film's tone. It's an assertion of the film's moral premise. That cynicism is ultimately self-defeating. That greed is not good. It's a repudiation of neoliberalism. Am I crazy? I don't know. I'm kind of fucked up in general, so it's hard to gauge. One of the themes of the film 
is the effects of grief after the loss of a friend. Tennyson wrote the poem In Memoriam A.H.H. for a college friend who died suddenly at the age of 22. In Canto 54, he writes movingly of his faith in goodness being tested. Behold, we know not anything. I can but trust that good shall fall at last, far off at last to all, and every winter change to spring. So runs my dream. But what am I? An infant crying in the night, an infant crying for the light, and with no language but a cry. Come on and howl with me now! Thanks a lot, kids. I, I feel much better now. Tennyson was a Christian, but I think that even those of us who don't share his religion can find wisdom in the closing words of the poem, in which his hope is restored through love and strength of character. O living will that shalt endure when all that seems shall suffer shock, rise in the spiritual rock, flow through our deeds and make them pure that we may lift from out of dust a voice as unto him that hears, a cry above the conquered years to one that with us works, and trust with faith that comes of self-control the truths that never can be proved until we close with all we loved and all we flow from, soul in soul. Let's go home, Smooch. Show's over. No, it didn't. It's just beginning. to introduce to you, appearing together for the very first time, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, friends forever, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome Fuji the Rhino and Rainbow Rondo! I've been Panicky in the UK. This has been Panicky Pictures. I hope that you enjoyed this first episode of the relaunch. 
What a film I chose to relaunch my entire podcast with. You can try tweeting at me on uh, at Panicky Pictures on Twitter, uh, but I don't really use that account. Um, you can try emailing me at panickyintheuk at gmail.com. Just spelt like, just like panicky the word and then in the UK, like all one thing. I'd, people find it confusing, I don't know why. And I promise that I will definitely try to remember to check that sometimes. And you can follow me on Letterboxd, Panicky in the UK. There are links in the description. Alright, I love you. Bye. Okay, wasn't that fun in a awkward sort of way? And face!